Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuller, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hey, I'm Benno talking with Zach Murphy today. Hey, Zach, say hi. Benno, how are you? Great to be here. I am good. Glad to have you. So you and I met at ACG, Association for Corporate Growth at the Innovation Roundtable, and you think a lot about marketing, sales enablement, how the internet has sort of changed the whole selling process. And so you've been in the whole, you know, in the world of marketing and growth strategy, worked for a couple of marketing agencies. And since what, 2017, I think you've been a partner and growth strategist at Gray Matter in Cincinnati, right? Give or take. Yeah. In 2015, fall of 15, I started my own B2B consultancy. And then the lines are a little blurred as to when things became official with Gray Matter, but that's where we are today. Correct. Great. So the internet, obviously, you know, it, it, it's sort of a truism to say that the internet changed and continues to change everything. You know, marketing sort of pre-internet was more one directional push, you know, broadcasting, you know, madmen putting, you know, messages together that were broadcast on and advertised on three different TV channels, sort of, you know, very top down. Whereas now the internet sort of you know, creates this multi-directional push, pull. Content is being created by millions of people and company. And it's just, it feels more organic, more, more real time. Is that a fair way to kind of? I think so. And I think it becomes such a broad thing for people to try to wrap their heads around. At the end of the day, the internet has sort of democratized information. It's made more unbiased, real information, helpful information, more available to people as consumers. That's a great word. Democratized the whole process. And, and you know, I, I think that, you know, makes all of us, and especially business owners and executives in sales and marketing and branding, try to figure out, you know, sort of what, so, so what does it mean? How has it changed you know, the way people and companies act, how has it changed the buying process? How has it changed the selling process? So let's kind of start with, you know, people and companies in general. It, I think today the internet, you know, promoting yourself or promoting a product and creating content on the internet, it's less production, more authenticity compared to 30 years ago. True or false? I think that's mostly true, just because the internet, in, in the sense that it has democratized information, it's sort of been a way to organically weed out more BS than before, because it's a two-way channel and it's multi-pronged, if you will. Uh, companies in the Mad Men era, pretty much to date, up until the mid-90s when the internet really came online for most people, it was really, it was a one-way conversation. The brands controlled the full conversation. So the fact that other people can comment in the online space and a small company can look just about as big and powerful and important as a big company, it has created uh, less places to hide. So in that case, yes, 
it is more authentic. That doesn't mean that businesses still don't try to game the system, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, but but there are so there are more voices, more channels. Does that, in your mind, make it easier or harder to get your message out? Well, it's a little bit of both. And here's what I mean by that. There are more channels to consider when getting your message out. However, I think people often overcomplicate their sales and marketing process and that at the end of the day, you're trying to help your buyer make a the, make the best decision for themselves, be that with you or be that with somebody else. I mean, one of the ultimate sales mantras is sell, fail fast. If somebody's not a fit, you don't want to make waste that time. And so in the sense that if you focus on the buyer and serving the buyer, they'll usually let you know where they are and where they are not. So while there are more channels, everything's a lot more measurable online. And so you can pretty quickly see and pretty quickly pivot to where you need to be. I think I heard you say people that there are people out there that make it more complicated than it has to be. Am I putting words in your mouth? Did you? No, I, I think you, they did, you that. did say that, right? I did <laughs> okay. say that, yes. <laughs> so people make it more complicated than it needs to be. You talk about 45,000 marketing agencies. I think that's in the United States or in... Correct. Yeah, give or take. It's probably more. Um, not everybody loves their marketing agency. Most do not. Most do not, right? You, and, and, and In fact, I think you have some statistics around that, don't you? Anecdotal ones. I think 99% of people hate their marketing agency. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that seems highly anecdotal, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it... I, I have rarely met somebody who, and this is a serious uh, just point of experience for my 10, 12 years in the business, I rarely meet people that are satisfied with the work or understand the work or really feel at peace uh, or really have that peace of mind because of the work their agency is doing. So it, it, yeah, it's easy to get into. There's a low barrier of entry, which is why there are so many marketers. You don't have to pass a test. Anybody with a laptop and somebody with a uh, Adobe Photoshop or Adobe Creative Suite access is all of a sudden an agency. So low barrier to entry. And the fact that it's been, you know, sales and marketing and business development is often uh, convoluted and people don't understand it. So much has changed. It, uh, it confuses things. And that, that's where the confusion comes in is just because you know how to affect an image on Photoshop or you know how to put words on paper doesn't make you a marketer, doesn't make you good at selling, i.e. good at helping a business connect their solution to a customer in need. It just means they can transact that tactical activity. And I think that's a big disconnect for a lot of people on both sides of the fence. Because there, there are so many different nuances to marketing and, and, and online marketing. You know, there's the visual element, there are the words, there's the technology, there's the, you know, different platforms. And I mean, it, it is a pretty complex thing. So it probably makes it easy for some also snake oil sales people to weasel their way into it, even though they don't know. They don't really have any business being there? I think so. And I think a lot of it, I'll give people the benefit of the doubt on that front, but this is probably a critical pillar of this conversation in that a lot of, there's a lot of bad practitioners out there. Most of those agencies are not great. 
And it's not that they set out to be a snake oil salesman. You'll certainly have that facet of people. But it's mostly because, and this is the gray matter mantra at heart, single activities do not drive revenue. Process does. Sales is a process. There are multiple ways to structure the sales funnel. I won't go into any of that. Everybody says it differently. But at the end of the day, agencies tend to sell activities. Benno, I'm going to give you a new website. I'm going to redesign your brand. I'm going to do an email campaign. I'm going to do any of a thousand things for you that agencies sell. On their own, those things are not enough. If you imagine your sales process, the sales funnel as being a series of lily pads to help the frog get from one side of the pond to the next, you can't just have one unless this frog has like, you know, some sort of ability to squat 10,000 pounds. But it takes a series of events. And so oftentimes people, we, we encounter this all the time with different prospects and, and customers. You know, we just paid $50,000, $100,000 to rebrand, to get some new collateral, to redo our website, and the phone's not ringing anymore, or we're not getting any more inquiries as a result. And it's like, well, yeah, if you just redo your brand and redo your website, but you don't drive qualified traffic to it, and you don't understand how to get that qualified traffic on the phone with you or convince them to fill out a form for more information, you've effectively put a billboard in the middle of the forest. You know, it could be the best website ever, but if the right people don't see it, it doesn't matter. And so that's where a lot of agencies get into troubles. They're busy looking busy. I mean, they're not trying to rip people off. It's just, I know how to build websites. I'm not necessarily the strategist that focuses on what activities do I need to do first, second, third, in order to help my client get more customers. And that's the gray matter focus is really on that outcome rather than delivering the activities in the middle. Let's stop there for a second and move over to the customer, right? The, the, the person, you know, be that in a B2C, a, a, a consumer, you know, looking to buy toothpaste or a, a new phone or whatever, or in a B2B process, you know, a purchasing agent, maybe, you know, people, the buyer used to walk into a store or call a sales rep to learn, you know, what's out there. There, there was a, a face-to-face element in the store or, if it, or, you know, a phone call. How has that changed? Well, in many ways it has changed and in many ways it hasn't. At the end of the day, um, again, the, the internet has just given people more access to more opinions, which good and bad with that. But if you imagine back in the day going to the store 40 years ago, 1980, I need toothpaste. I don't know what kind of toothpaste I want. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to look at everything on the shelf. And the real parameters of it, I might ask a friend prior to going, which one do you like, not like? I might ask the store clerk, which ones do you like, not like? And the other, the third decision factor is really, you know, the on-shelf pizzazz. This is why product marketing and pack design, if you will, big in the Cincinnati area here. This is why that is so popular is because those were previously the only decision factors. What's different is where that information comes now. So if I'm buying toothpaste on Amazon, what's going to affect that? Well, the different ratings, what are the most popular products? The pack design happens to matter a little bit less. Maybe I have a great experience with Crest on Instagram. They're very funny or they're very informative, whatever the case may be. So the similar influence and uh, information that I'm looking for as a consumer, but it's done in a different way. And again, it's much more accessible to me rather than going to the store. So there are more touch points, right? The 
pre-internet, there was maybe two or three different places you'd go to find out, and most of them controlled by the brand, by the seller of the product or the service. And now there's, you know, a dozen different touch points online, depending on, you know, the, you know, the platform, whether it's the website of, of the seller or the, you know, or a social media platform. The buyer is educating him and herself on a bunch of these prior to making the, de- the decision, right? Uh, that's exactly right. And, and with the internet, they tend to get a more trustworthy opinion because they can find more opinions through the, you know, in the comfort of their home or from their desk, if you will, if it's more of a B2B situation. It's all about building trust. You know, that's why word of mouth from friends, people whose opinions we trust or at least understand, that's why we hold that in such high regard. And so that's why when when companies are just shouting on a billboard, of course, they're going to say they're the best. What social media has done has provided a little bit more clarity and authenticity for brands and and consumers to interact on the same level. So brands have lost their authority to an extent, their arbitrary authority in that it was just granted back in the day. But that trust factor is still so important. And in many ways, the internet has helped that. And also in many ways, it has not helped that, you know, reference a lot of the political stuff that we've all just gone through. So it's kind of a mixed bag. But that's, Really, what you mean by uh, you used the term earlier, democratization? You know, it's not uh, Colgate, Pavlov, or P and G, uh, whoever makes Crest. I don't know. They're not the only ones in in at the megaphone. You have consumers with smaller megaphones. You know, via reviews and uh, commentary, also sharing their opinion, right? And, and the great thing about that is that it, it forces the businesses to create a better product, in theory, at least. You know, you can't, you can't just say our, our toothpaste is the best. And then if enough people don't like it, back in the day, it was harder for that information to get out. But now, you know, a couple influencers get a hold of that and make, they don't even have to be that influential. But somebody, you know, writes some sort of scathing review or has some sort of hilarious take about how bad a product is. And that can spread very quickly. And so the companies have, this is what I mean about shining the light and the, the authenticity that's being forced through the system is there's less places to hide. And so that, that's a positive of the internet. And that is, it, it's really forcing the businesses to say, okay, you know, for us to actually advertise and market ourselves effectively, it helps to have a great product that's worth talking about. <laughs> so let's move on to the selling this, the selling process, uh, you, you know, you use this term seller-free phenomenon. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so specifically in the business-to-business space, which is where my expertise happens to lie, what we're seeing is prior to the internet, if you needed something, generally speaking, about 20 or 30% into this buying process, the customer, the buyer, would contact the sales rep. They ask their friends. They might shop around a little bit. But at the end of the day, the keeper of the information was the business. And it was, you know, the, the trends, the person that would, uh, that would share that information was the sales rep. Now, if I need to buy something, say a piece of equipment for my business, 
I can simply go online and start to learn everything I need to know about that piece of equipment or say even a step before that, I'm going to research why is my equipment malfunctioning and I'm going to get a lot of great information about what's causing my problem. And so now in the buying process with the internet, in some cases, buyers are 70 to 80% through the decision process before they ever contact sales for the first time. And so the reason it's called the seller-free phenomenon is that in many cases, there's some buyers are making purchase decisions without ever even speaking with a sales rep. And so if you are a company thinking about, well, how do we need to grow? How do we need to invest our resources this year? I would think twice about pouring your resources into hiring new sales reps if you don't first have a pretty well put together or at least measurable digital sales and marketing program. Because ultimately, those sales reps are probably going to be sitting around twiddling their thumbs considering so much of that initial sales decision process happens in the online space. Or, you know, if, if not twiddling their thumbs, because I've great salespeople never twiddle their thumbs. They're, you know, That's they're always fair. out trying. That's fair. But no, but but instead of them not doing something, I think to your point, if if the seller, if the company does not have a digital sales process and marketing process prepared, the sale, you know, the rock star salesperson is going to swim against the current of uh, you know, trying to sell product to a buyer who, you know, maybe got frustrated that they looked for things online about the salesperson's product, couldn't find anything, uh, which makes it, you know, creates a loss of credibility, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and at the end of the day, we're not here to say that, you know, the internet and digital is the only way. It It is a hybrid approach. But your dollars spent on, say, five sales reps and zero digital marketing efforts will not go as far as that same amount of money spent on, say, two or three sales reps and the rest being devoted to digital marketing efforts. So how far do you want your dollar to go? You know, do you want a dollar to return you another dollar in return? Or do you want your dollar to return you $5 in return? And that, that's really what we're talking about. It can still work with sales reps, sure. But cold calling, for instance, is far less effective today than it was 30 years ago. I keep having this image of the buyer is now used to you know going on their phone. The minute we have a question, whether it's as a, as a consumer or as a, as, a, as a professional B2B buyer, the minute we have a question... We Google it, right? And if we don't find, you know, if I Google Zach Murphy or I Google Realign or I Google Gray Matter, and if I don't find a website or I don't find, you know, positive content around it, people are going to be like, hmm, sketchy. That, yeah, that's exactly right. There's, they, they, want, they want answers, right? At the end of the day, sales and marketing today is really about helping the buyer make the best decision. And so if they find it easier, as you and I do, and everybody else listening probably does, if it's easier to start my process online, give them the information. You know, we need to start structuring all of our activities in the best interest and for the convenience of our buyers, rather than what's efficient for our businesses. 
And so if we orient every decision about message, about a product, about the channels that we're selling and marketing on around the convenience of the customer, you'll find that everything becomes a lot more effective. Is there certain advice that you find yourself giving to clients sort of over and over again? Yes, it's answer your buyer's questions. The best way to sell is to take a problem-centric approach, not a product-centric approach. So many companies want to talk, talk, talk. They don't take enough time to actually consider, you know, what questions am I frequently answering that my customers have? We all know that there are a certain set of answers that our customers demand before they cut us a check. Why not get that information on paper or digital paper, if you will, online and share that for them, preempt that conversation by saying, hey, I understand what you're going through. Talk about being able to demonstrate trust right off the bat. We, we really recommend answering more questions, being more of an educator rather than actually selling. And so that, that is a, a concept that isn't entirely original, but we see so few companies actually adhering to it or really understanding, okay, I get that. I understand what you're saying and the importance of it, but what does that mean? Like, what do I, what behaviors do I actually change? How do I actually write effective problem centric messaging? So that, that is really the tip of the spear of the conversations that we have with our prospects and clients. So. Zach, as much as I love the title for the podcast, Seller Free Phenomenon, and, I, and, and, and I'm going to keep that title because there, there's something provocative in, in, in those words. But as I'm listening to you talk, I, I, I think it, what you're really talking about is online first, face-to-face -face second. So in other words, it's not if the face-to-face -face is, you know, if we think of the sales rep as the seller, it's not a sales rep free, no, not at all. But it is online first because everybody Googles everything. And then comes the face-to-face -face sales contact. Is that, is that, am I thinking about that in the right way? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, there's a lot of data to support that You know, COVID really accelerated a lot of this process too, obviously, because all of a sudden we were, for most of us, were thrust into a, a position where we can't sell nose to nose, so to speak. Where do people go? I have to keep my business running. There's only so many weeks we cannot operate. And so as people are looking online, they've, they've come to be, they find it a lot more convenient to be able to find that information online. And eventually most, in most situations, they are going to interact with a sales rep. But again, as you said, the first step is always Googling. And so companies really need to understand, let's set up more helpful information on our website. Let's start the process there. And then let's start to see at what point in the process do people start to contact sales. And more and more companies are finding that they can get more of the sales process done online. I mean, the beauty of it is not just you know, a higher ROI, but it also an effective digital sales and marketing strategy can speed your sales process up too. If you know what conversations people need to have, what questions they need to answer, you can preempt all that information. So by the time somebody does contact you, they have most of the information they want. That's a warmer lead, so to speak. 
And so we've seen instances where, you know, the right, uh, the right use of content will speed the process up and also, you know, increase the wallet share as well. Right. If folks wanted to reach out to you to, you know, just to talk one-on-one, you know, they might have a marketing or a digital marketing problem, challenge, question. What's the best way for, for them to find you or, or, or reach out to you? Like website, email address? Yeah, they can find, I'm on LinkedIn, Zach Murphy. You can find our website at gograymatter.com. That's G-O-G-R-E-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R.com. And if people want to get a hold of me via email, my email is in my LinkedIn profile. And if you drop me a line on LinkedIn, or if you fill out a form on our website, I promise you somebody will be in touch ASAP. Awesome. Excellent. Great. Hey, great conversation. You know, I'm, I'm still kind of thinking through three or four different nuggets that, you know, you, you, you talked about that the internet has democratized information and, and, and also the selling process. We've talked about some marketing agencies maybe might be making it too complicated. I loved your analogy, by the way, of having a beautiful billboard in the middle of the forest where nobody sees it. <laughs> and, and, and I think this, 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 this mindset of meeting the customer where they are, and if we Google things before we pick up the phone, then meet them by having, your, you know, having a bunch of questions answered online before they ever call you or email you. Good stuff. I appreciate you taking the time. Anytime, Benno. I appreciate you having us on. Awesome. All right. Hey, thank you very much, Zach. Thank you. Take care, Benno. And uh, hey, if uh, folks wanted to explore other growth topics, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thank you, and until next time, keep growing. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.